Why choose a Sleep Number smart bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number smart bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 smart bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number special edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com. They actually did a survey. They found out that the most challenging things that uh, our pa- as parents we get our child to do, 25% of us struggle to get our kids to do homework, 30% to make their bed, 37% to brush their teeth, and 45% to floss. So brushing and flossing actually leads all those things that we nag our <laughs> kids to yes. do. You know? The Parentologist Podcast is a show about everything parenting with a therapeutic twist. I have a doctor in psychology and am a licensed marriage and family therapist, a registered play therapist, university professor, writer, and mom of two. Each episode of the Parentologist Podcast focuses on a variety of topics related to parenting, family, children, and mental health. I'm glad you're here. On today's episode, I have Dr. Kami Haas. Dr. Haas is a renowned orthodontist and dental facial orthopedist who just released his highly anticipated book, If Your Mouth Could Talk. Dr. Haas is the co-founder and CEO of The Super Dentist, which has become one of the leading multi-specialty dental practices in the country for the past 25 years. He sits on the board of counselors at UCLA School of Dentistry and is a highly sought-after expert who has been featured on NBC, ABC, Fox, CBS, and NPR affiliates nationally, as well as hundreds of newspapers, magazines, and other media outlets. Wow, Dr. Haas, that's incredible. Thank you for being here today. <laughs> I know. When did I have time to write this book, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's amazing. And as Thank a you. UCLA Bruin myself, I love when I can, you know, talk to people who, um, you know, still obviously are, are part of that um, university and, you know, are able to give back in that way. So um, well, thank you very much. You know, uh, actually, most importantly, I'm a dad. And that's probably yeah. takes half of my time, you know, just driving my son to school and bringing him back as a mom. I'm sure you, you completely agree. Oh, yes. Uh, remind me, how old is your son? So my son will turn 10 in just two weeks. It's oh, my birthday coming up. Yep. We're oh, so excited. Yes. And that takes up that's a whole job in itself, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> It's a whole job. And, uh, you know, when we first had our child, uh, my wife is a pediatric dentist. And so she still was saying patients back then. And so I became the more of a hands-on dad that would take my son to all these mommy and me classes. I was, I was always usually the only dad, you know. So whenever I would see another dad, we would just kind of get together. We're like, please, let's hang out together this morning, you know. So anyways, I'm really, I'm just kind of used to being usually the, one of the few dads in the mommy groups. Right. Oh, that's so fun. <laughs> it's so fun. Well, we, we have kids in, around the same age. My daughter's about eight and a half. So they're, they're about the same age. And yeah, it's an, it's an interesting time. And we're going to talk about it today on this episode about oral health and not only for ourselves as parents, but also for our kids. So um, I just got your book. Um, it just was released, gosh, maybe just on April 5th, a couple days ago, really, uh, just in the past week. So um, brand new, hot on the market. And um, if you don't mind me saying, Dr. Haas, I actually wrote an endorsement for you that is on the back cover of your book that I'm super excited about. Uh, me too. I was super excited about your endorsement. And in fact, I loved it so much. I made sure it landed on the back cover. So thanks again for doing that. Of course, of course. Well, we've known each other for a long time. We met in person many years ago, and I've just always been a big fan of, uh, you know, the super dentist. Uh, I know you've you've done things in the past that I know I've loved as a parent to try and make 
brushing teeth fun, you know, whether it's, um, you know, a singing toothbrush or, you know, a couple of things that I've tried over the years that you've created. Um, because as you know, as a parent, sometimes whether, you know, you're, it's, it's hard to get your kids to brush their teeth. It's hard to instill the importance of oral health as they grow and even being a role model and making sure that we are taking care of our own oral health as a parent so they can watch us in the habits that we create. So, um, I have tons of questions I want to ask you, so I feel like we should just get started. But um, and we'll talk later on about where people can buy your book, and because um, I I've just started reading it, but I'm I'm already loving it. So thank you. Yeah, of course. In your book, you say that the mouth is the gateway to the body, which I I, I love, and it's it's so encompassing. But why is our dental health impact so many other parts of our body? That's a great question. Uh, and before I answer that question, let me just uh, touch upon just the comment you just made. You know, as parents, I think we struggle these challenges. They actually did a survey. They found out that the most challenging things that uh, our pa- as parents we get our child to do, 25% of us struggle to get our kids to do homework, 30% to make their bed, 37% to brush their teeth, and 45% to floss. So brushing and flossing actually leads all those things that we nag our <laughs> kids to do, yeah. you know? Um, but oh, yeah. getting back, getting back to your question about how your oral health impacts your body, because I think actually, you know, we were just discussing this before the episode started that really one of the main reasons why I thought I should write this book is because for 25 years, I heard this comment from parents that, Hey, Dr. House, you know, isn't that just a cavity or just a baby tooth? They just really, I think most people, even professionals don't uh, don't uh, uh, really give the importance of why oral health is so important because they think, what's the big deal? You get a cavity, there's a hole in the tooth and the dentist will fill it or you just got some crooked teeth and the orthodontist will fix it. But really your oral health impacts every part of your life. The quality of life, it impacts, you know, if, you, if you're more likely or less likely to get chronic diseases, it impacts your airway and sleep. It impacts the health of pregnancy, how you do in school, how successful you are as a, as a child in school, how successful you are as an adult, how much money you make, the type of person you meet, how, your daily life. It literally impacts everything from beginning to end. But specifically about how it impacts your chronic, your systemic health, it really primarily impacts it in two ways. Think about your mouth as an opening to your body. So if you had an open infection in your body, you, you, that would make sense how that impacts the health of your body, right? If you right. had an open wound, you would, of course, you want to take care of it because otherwise, if you don't, you know, that can cause a local infection. It may lead to even losing your, let's just say this happened on your leg. You could lose your leg or it could cause, you know, systemic infection. You could have or, organ failures. You, can, you know, you could literally die from that infection ultimately, right, if you don't take care of, of it. But we don't think of our mouths in that way. But it is that way. You know, this is the biggest opening. The, 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 this is how nearly everything that enters your body, including, you know, starting from air to, you know, toxins to bacteria to viruses to food, everything enters the body through your mouth. But primarily the way it impacts physical health is two ways. One, the oral bacteria or its toxins, they enter the bloodstream through bleeding gums or Let's just say if your tooth has an open root canal because it's infected. Mm -hmm. And then where does the blood go? Well, pretty much every organ, right? Not pretty much every organ. The blood goes to every part of your body. So it can go to your lungs. It can go to your heart, to your brain, and cause local infections. The other way is the inflammation produced in the mouth in response to the bacteria can lead to an overall inflammatory response in the body. and That can also cause systemic health issues. So from these two primary ways, it's how your oral health can impact your systemic health in dramatic ways. Wow. 
I, I don't know about anyone else listening right now, but I want to go brush my teeth and floss right now. <laughs> <laughs> I already did this morning. Mission but I, accomplished. I love it. I want to do it again. You know, really, <laughs> when you think about it, when, when you when you say it the way you did, you think, oh my goodness, like I need to get so much better at, you know, I think I do a pretty good job, you know, brushing twice a day, flossing once a day. And, um, but you know, every once in a while, there's that time that slips, you know, you stay up super late, you get back from Disneyland and, you know, you go to bed and you, just, you go straight to bed and your kids already sleep in the car and you don't get a chance to brush their teeth before they go to bed. You know, yeah, I get it. I'm a parent myself, so I completely understand. Yeah. But I think, like you said, once people are aware of the issue and how easy it is to take care of your mouth, I think I'm hoping that we're going to have more people really being more concerned about their oral health and the oral health of their, their children. Yes, of course. And making it a priority. I think it's, you know, I think sometimes when it comes to habits, as you know, um, it's hard to cultivate those habits sometimes, especially if you value and prioritize other things, you know, but if you make it a priority and maybe even take a toothbrush with you to Disneyland, so they brush their teeth in the, you know, in the parking lot on the, before you get in the car to have <laughs> before they fall asleep. But, you know, I'm just saying there's ways around it, you know, and, you know, I think a lot of us, you know, especially as myself, even as a parent, sometimes, you know, just say, oh, it's okay. It'll be fine for one night or one day. But those having that type of value system and in, in, in lowering the priority of our oral health by making those excuses adds up. And it's not just one day anymore. It's a couple days or a couple times a week. And all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're having issues. So, um, but you mentioned about baby teeth. So I want to debunk the myth that baby teeth aren't important. You know, as a, as a mom of two, two young ones who do still have ba- lots of baby teeth, um, how important are baby teeth? Um, when it comes to oral health, um, if they're just going to fall out anyway? I mean, should cavities be addressed on baby teeth? And should we be worried if our kids are having cavities um, at a young age with their baby teeth? Absolutely. Baby teeth, just like babies themselves, are precious. So let me kind of go over why baby teeth are so critical to the oral and the physical and the mental development of a child. So baby teeth come in usually around six months of age, and they're fully in by the time the child is about two years old. So they, they obviously assist with chewing so they can impact the nutrition of a child, which can impact all sorts of health areas of that child. It, it, it helps the child develop their speech skills. And if a child cannot speak correctly, it can impact their psychological health, their mental health, how confident they are. Uh, they make those beautiful smiles that we love and it okay. gives the child that confidence, right? Uh, they hold the space for the permanent teeth to come in. So if the baby teeth are lost too early, they can not only interfere with the eruption of the permanent teeth, but they can sometimes impact the with permanent teeth completely. They can make the teeth come in crooked. The baby teeth allow the bones of the face and the jaws to grow correctly. So if the baby teeth are not there, it can impede the growth, the correct growth and development of the jaws and the face of that child. So as you can see, you know, obviously when you have dental decay, it can cause to you know uh, pain and kids with dental pain. And have uh, they can't sleep? Uh, there was a study in 2017 by USC that showed that children with dental problems are three times more likely to miss school, and four times more likely to get below average grades. Wow! You know, if I ha- if you had a toothache, would you be able to sit in class and listen to your teacher? No, I wouldn't either. Right? Yeah. I think once we have a toothache, we realize how bad it is, but we just kind of don't think about it about about it as much uh, for our kids because I think. The kids also don't complain as much because with them, every time they get up in the morning, you know, they have a different body, right? Right. A new tooth is erupted or they have a pimple that they didn't have before. So I think kids are just used to having these differences in their mouths all the time. So 
they don't complain as much. So I've known many, many kids, and I've seen them throughout the years that they've had major dental problems, but they never brought it up to the attention of the, their uh, parents. And so it's really important that these parents take their kids routinely to the dentist because as little issues erupt and develop, it's it, it, the, the, e the, the easiest time and the best time, the least expensive time and the most effective time to address dental problems are as early as possible. And with kids, there's always a window of opportunity during which if we address those problems, we can get an ideal result with the least amount of time and cost. But as that window closes, the cost goes up and it, the cases become a lot more complicated. And many times we end up with compromised results. Of course, of course. So when should a parent first take their child to the dentist? This is another misconception. I even have my physician friends, my physician friends, yeah. get this wrong. You know, sometimes they ask me, hey, call me. You know, this uh, patient asked me if I should get my kid to the dentist. And I told them, I think you should get to go to the dentist by age three. I've had a physician friend of mine tell me that. So, so let, let's just kind of debunk that as well. Sure. Um, so the American Academy of Pediatric Dentists says dentistry that says that every child should see the pediatric dentist as the baby teeth start erupting. So that usually happens by age six months or no later than age one. So... Okay. Now, personally, I recommend that parents see a dentist really as early as possible. Even when you're thinking about being getting pregnant, you should see a dentist for yourself, first of all. Because sure. first of all, on the mom side, poor oral health can lead to infertility. On the dad side or a dad's-to-be, that can cause issues with the sperm count and the sperm quality. During pregnancy, a mother's oral health can impact her own health. Everything ranging from it could increase the risk of getting preeclampsia or gestational diabetes. It can also impact the timing of birth. It can lead to preterm birth and low birth weight. So as you can see, and then of course, as the baby is born, uh, the oral health of the mom and dad can dramatically impact the oral health of the baby. Not only the mom and dad, but all the caregivers because they pass on this, those oral microbes collectively called oral microbiome to their baby. You know, the baby is born without microbes, it goes through the birth canal and it gets the first dose of microbes, then the, the mouth is seeded by the microbes of all the caregivers, including the parents, the siblings, the nanny, the, you know, the you know, grandparents, and the, even the house pets. So all those people and uh, everybody who's going to be around the baby needs to make sure the oral health is a priority for them and make sure their teeth are, and their mouths are healthy before the baby's born. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's a lot to think about, right? I mean, again, I think I'm learning so much from you and, and from, from your book and, you know, about thinking about things that, you know, I think a lot of us don't initially think about before, you know, especially when I was pregnant, I didn't think, oh, the first thing I need to do is make sure my oral health or, or when I was having trouble getting pregnant for a while, I didn't think about, oh, maybe it's because of my oral health. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. And in fact, unfortunately, because of unclear with uh, guidelines for even dentists, Unfortunately, many dentists feel uncomfortable seeing pregnant women, which is completely the wrong message that the, the pregnant ladies get. Because, you know, it's, it, you sh if you're pregnant, you must go to the dentist. Just like you go to your physician, make sure you get, you know, you don't eat those mercury-filled, you know, fish and all those other things that you do to take care of yourself and to take care of the developing fetus. One of the things you want to, one way, one great way to take care of your baby is to take care of your oral health. And one of the ways you should do that is by making sure that you keep your routine visit to the dentist. By the way, during pregnancy, just as a side note, you wanna see the dentist ideally during your second trimester or the first half of the third trimester. Those are the safest times to go see the dentist. Oh, good to know, good to know. 
All right. So now I want to get into cavities. And we kind of touched upon that a little bit ago um, about, um, you know, how cavities are developed. I know you mentioned seven in seven factors in your book, but before we do, we're going to take a really quick break. Okay. So in your book, you mention seven factors about how someone can develop cavities. Will you go over some of those for us today just so we know? Because I, I actually learned some that I didn't even, I wasn't even aware of. Because you think about, you know, oh, well, if you have too much, you know, sweets and candies and sodas and sugars, you know, and that can get caked on the teeth. And especially if you don't take care of your teeth after that can develop the cavities. But but there's so many others you list. So if you if you would share that with us today, I think you're just going to, I mean, it, it's it's so interesting to me about the things I learned from that. Of course, I'm happy to do it. So because just like you said, if I ask the average person how to get cavity, they probably say, well, eating a lot of sweets and not brushing my teeth enough, right? Yes. And, but, if you, but, uh, but to your listeners, I just want to emphasize that the number one chronic disease in kids is oral caries, you know, dental caries, which, which is another words for cavities. And then the half of the world population have people have cavities and oral diseases and gum disease. So, uh, you know, and you think with the, all the advancements in science and in technology and in medicine over the last 30 years, we'd be in a better position health-wise, oral health-wise, but we're not. In fact, half of the people over age 30, half, and nine, set more than 70% of people over age 65 have gum disease. These are, by the way, CDC numbers. I can't think of if we, we didn't take care of our mouths, we're probably in a better position than having more than 70% of, of the population have oral diseases. But to your question, if we don't know what's causing the cavities, we can't prevent it, right? So I think in addition to sugar, that it's like the most common culprit and, uh, you know, and rightly so, by the way, um, <laughs> there are a lot of other things like acidic foods, other simple carbohydrates, uh, starch foods, those all can lead to cavities. But in addition to what's in the food, that could be bad. One of the most important things is what's missing from your food that could be the problem. For hmm. example, as we probably all know, calcium is a key nutrient and ingredient that we need for, for healthy teeth and healthy bones, right? Sure. But without a few vi very vital vitamins, the it doesn't matter how much calcium you take, it's not going to get to the areas that it needs to go. Two of those nutrients, vitamin D and vitamin K2, is is deficient in almost all of us in the Western civilization mm -hmm. because of our diets, new diets, quote unquote, modern diets, and the fact that we stay indoors all the time. And, and so these two vitamins are very critical for the absorption and deposition of the, the calcium into our bones and in our teeth. So we, make, we need to make sure that we have enough of those two vitamins, you know, through either diet or getting in the sun or through oral care products or through supplements. Another thing that I think probably one of the most important things that I want to discuss, because even oral care product companies get this wrong, is the pH of your mouth. Now, for, for let me just kind of explain what pH is. pH is a measurement that we, we measure a, a solution's acidity or alkalinity. So mm -hmm. a, a pH of 7, it means neutral, that, 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 that solution is neutral. And anything that you get closer to a 1, it's very acidic. And then as you get closer to 14, it becomes very alkaline. Now, let me think, tell you this. You can never, ever get a cavity when your mouth is alkaline or pH of 7 or above. In fact, you only get cavities when you eat something acidic or eat something sugary. And because of the foods themselves or the enzymes produced in your mouth to start the digestion of the food, the, the pH of your mouth drops from the neutral, which is typically around 7, and it, it gets acidic. Once it reaches and passes pH of about 5.5, 
that's when some of the minerals on your teeth, which is called hydroxyapatite, 97% of your enamel is made of this crystal mineral called, uh, it's a calcium phosphate mineral called hydroxyapatite. Some of those minerals start dissolving away from your teeth, you know, in that acidic environment. Now, the bacteria in your mouth, you have the good bacteria and the bad bacteria called the oral microbiome. When, when in, a, in a normal situation, in a healthy mouth, the, the, this, these billions of microbes in your mouth are in a balanced, healthy state. But, but in an acidic environment, that uh, favors the bad bacteria. And then those bacteria actually eat the sugar and they excrete acid themselves and create this vicious cycle. And the mouth becomes acidic and more acidic. And then into, into that acidic environment, you get a ton of cavity because those demineralization of the enamel uh, are not compensated by the reminization of what happens when your mouth is baked with saliva when you stop eating. So if that process is not in balance, you just get these holes in the teeth cut cavities. Wow. And, another, uh, and because saliva is such an important part of this equation and this balance, pe some people have dry mouth, you know, for many reasons. They take medications, they, 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 they have mouth breathing, you know, they, they have all sorts of medical issues or stress or poor diet. And so that's another fact, risk factor for cavities. Wow. Contrary to what most people think, genetics is actually probably the least amount of uh, the least uh, important factor and risk factor. Yes, there are some issues like an uh, enamel uh, amylogenesis imperfecta. There are some genetic issues that do predispose you for cavities, but that's only ten percent of the equation. Another factor: antibiotics. If you take antibiotics for a long time, it can destroy all of your microbes, right? The good and the bad. And then what that does, it gives the mouth an opportunity for the aggressive and opportunistic bacteria to overgrow. And then that can lead to cavities and gum disease and other health issues throughout the body. By the way, some really poor oral care products do the same thing. Like those antiseptic mouthwashes that say kills 99.9% .9 of germs on the bottle. Yes. Well, that's just the most potent antibiotic. If I, if I say, Dr. Kim, here, take this, take this bacteria uh, antibiotics twice a day because it's going to kill 99.99% of your microbes in your body. And to just preventively to stay healthy, you probably just say, you know what, this podcast is done. I'm not <laughs> going to interview this guy, right? Because he doesn't know what he's talking about. But think about it. We do that in our mouth and we don't even think about it twice, right? And this is something that right. we've been doing for, for decades, which is completely nuts. And, and then, of course, how you take care of your mouth, the brushing, the flossing, how you do it, when you do it, how often you do it. So those are some of the risk factors when it comes to cavities. Yes. Well, thank you. I mean, I, the pH was the one that really like wowed me, you know, of thinking, wow, because I know I've read about pH balance when it comes to uh, as a two time breast cancer survivor myself, um, you know, learning or, you know, acidic food versus alkaline foods and being more alkaline will help um, even the, the, you know, cancer cells from, you know, returning uh, in a cancerous way and whatnot. So I know just physically being, you know, having an alkaline or more pH balanced body is good for my physical health, but I didn't realize that that, you know, could be a prevention for cavities and, you know, critical, right. Critical. And in fact, uh, just one small tip for your listeners is when you buy a mouthwash, because that's another question I get all the time. Hey, Dr. Haas, is mouthwash good or bad? That's kind of, for me, that's kind of question to ask is food good or bad, right? It depends what kind of food. <laughs> some foods are yeah. terrible. Some foods are wonderful. It's just same thing with your mouthwash, but one easy way you can tell if your mouthwash is terrible or good other than the, if, if it's fluorescent color or neon color, glow in the dark, uh, you know, that please drain it down your drain, uh, you know, kind of please get rid of that mouthwash immediately, you know. But in addition to that, if you just buy a very inexpensive P3 
pH strip, you know, that you can mm-hmm. buy, you know, from anywhere. Yep, Just get your mouthwash and dip your uh, pH or, you know, put it in a, in a small cup or something and then test the pH. Anything below seven doesn't belong in your mouth because I just mentioned how you get cavities, right? If right. you cannot, so you want to get a, a, a mouthwash that's, that doesn't have any, you know, uh, artificial colors or uh, preservatives or anything like that. But the most important thing is it doesn't have to have a acidic pH. You want to get a mouthwash that the pH is above seven. So it's alkalizing mouthwash. Wow, that is such a great tip. I never thought about doing that before, but I, I'm going to try that now. Um, but so real quick before we go on, because I know we're talking about mouthwash right now, and I know I'd asked you a, this question in, in person years ago, um, because as a parent, you know, especially, you know, and we're going to talk about the, the fluoride versus no fluoride in just a second too, but um, debate. But um, when it comes to mouthwash as a parent, you know, I, I read all the labels, I read all the ingredients, I'm one of those parents. So, you know, when I'm reading the label on my child's you know, mouthwash, who is, you know, at the time, probably five, six years old when we were, you know, starting to try and maybe use it. Um, on the back, it says, please call poison control if your child swallows this. And I'm thinking to myself, why would I want to put something in my child's mouth at a young age if there's a risk, you know, because it's going in their mouth and they're kids. So they could swallow it by accident or forget they're not supposed to swallow it or whatever. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Because I feel, feel like most of the and I'm sure it's just a disclaimer to help with liability and things like that. But why why are we selling mouthwash to children that's, that we have to call poison control if they swallow some of it? And is that safe? What a great question. That's just a wonderful question. Let me kind of start with, with saying that all the mouthwashes and all the toothpastes that have fluoride on in it, there's a FDA requirement that that warning is there that says, first of all, it says keep it away from children under age of six. And by the way, if even if it's a toothpaste for kids and it has all these cartoons and they advertise it for kids, it still says do not give it or keep it away from children under age six. And uh, if you swallow it, you need to call the poison control center. So that's, that's because of FDA regulation for the fluoride. And the reason behind that is uh, let's just kind of talk about fluoride because I think that's probably the biggest controversial ingredient in all of our oral care products. And then I'm going to get back to the mouthwash specifically. Sure. So with fluoride, um, let me just kind of tell you how fluoride works first for your listeners. Basically, the way fluoride works, do you remember I said when the mouth becomes acidic at 5.5, some of these hydroxyapatite minerals dissolve away from the teeth during this what we call demineralization stage of the cycle of the oral development, right? The dental yes. uh, process. So when... In the presence of fluoride, these hydroxyapatite minerals combine with the fluoride minerals and they form a new mineral called fluorapatite. Now, when fluorapatite gets redeposited into the teeth, it's it's stronger than hydroxyapatite. So it doesn't dissolve away from the teeth until the pH reaches 4.5. And there's a big difference between 4.5 and 5.5. And so that's how the teeth become stronger. So yes, fluoride works in strengthening the teeth. However... However, as a dental expert, I would not recommend fluoride oral care products for majority of the kids. I only recommend fluoride for high-risk kids or older risk, especially when they're older. So let's just say you have a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old, and they, they get a ton of cavities, and you've done everything, and they still get cavities, mm. and they have a daily soda habit, and they don't brush their teeth. Yes, fluoride as a drug, I would recommend to be in, in their toothpaste and their mouthwash. But again, you have to be careful so they don't swallow it because mm-hmm. it can potentially lead to toxicities, to neurological problems. And 
for example, one of the most common things that uh, fl too much fluoride, too much fluoride, especially when you ingest it too much as a child, it can lead to something called dental fluorosis, which is dental dis discoloration of enamel and abnormal formation of enamel, which is, by the way, this has become extremely common in our society because there's so too much fluoride in our products and kids to use too much fluoride when they, they brush their teeth. In fact, there was a CDC study just a couple of years ago that showed that 40% of children use too much fluoride toothpaste. They just squirt so much of it in their, you know, in their, on their bristles when they use right. it. So that's why if you do want to, if you're a parent and you want to use a fluoride because your child is at high risk, you want to use only a smear of like a rice, a rice size amount of fluoride for kids under age three. And it, you can increase it to about pea size between three to six. So, getting, so that's about fluoride. But let's. Uh, but there's. By the way, there's another ingredient which I love. Has no toxicity, and all the studies show that is as good as fluoride in remineralization of teeth. But it does. It also reduces the sensitivity of enamel. It also naturally whitens teeth. It's called hydroxyapatite. It's a synthetic version of what's naturally in your mouth already. And the the part, the one that I like specifically, because not all hydroxyapatites are created equal, are nano particles of hydroxyapatite, which is the same size as your natural hydroxyapatite. So if, you, if you're if you the type of parent who doesn't want to use fluoride in your oral care products, don't just get a, something that says natural, just, just and then maybe has essential oils and terrible other terrible mm -hmm. things that don't belong in the mouth. Either use fluoride, or if you're the majority of the patient, pa parents, as I said, I don't recommend fluoride for majority of the patients at the low or moderate risk, or for, especially for the younger children. For those patients, I only recommend ingredient, the ingredient nanohydroxyapatite. So that's the one that you want to make sure that your oral care products have. I'm going to look at that. I told you I'm, I'm an ingredient, um, you know, person, <laughs> parent. So I'm going to look for, I'm going to look at the toothpaste. I know right now I'll, I'll, I'll share with the audience that's listening um, that I do um, have fluoride free toothpaste. You know, um, I do specifically find that, but I, I want to look for that specific ingredient that you just mentioned. Um, as soon as we, we, we stop recording, I'm going to go run over to my kid's Perfect. bathroom. And <laughs> because, because unfortunately a lot of the fluoride free options instead of putting something that actually works, because, you know, we all want, you know, I'm a parent, right? We want our kids, we want things to be safe for our kids, but we also want them to be effective, right? If I just take away something that works without putting something in place of it. So one of the terrible, the most common things that I see in quote unquote natural toothpaste and mouthwashes or essential oils. Let me just kind of say this one more time. Essential oils have no place in your mouth. They mm -hmm. may be good for other reasons, but they're not a, good, they're terrible oral care product ingredients. In fact, several of them like peppermint oil or tea tree oil or, you know, eucalyptus oil, those can be very dangerous for, for your mouth, especially for kids. Uh, right. And so I would make sure that those are another types of ingredients. I want to make sure they're, they're not in your, in your toothpaste nor in your mouthwash that you're giving to your kids. And by the way, a couple other things that are very common in, 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 in your mouth, uh, in your mouthwash, since you were mentioning it, first of all, with the mouthwash, you should. You don't want to give mouthwash to any kids under age six because they haven't developed, you know, swallowing. Their reflexes are not developed fully, and they're going to swallow more than uh, more than when mm -hmm. they turn six, approximately. So, especially if you're going to give them a fluoride mouthwash, because fluoride, as I said, with too much fluoride can lead to some all sorts of side effects and toxicities. But you know, in general, you want to make sure your again your mouthwash is alkaline. So yes, I do recommend mouthwash for kids over age six, but a good mouthwash, right? Which means right. they either have fluoride or hydroxyapatite. Instead of having antibiotics, which is very common, I think that's another mis 
uh, conception that we want to, we think, hey, if we kill all the microbes in our mouth, it must be good. Again, I want you to always think about if that you did that with your body, that wouldn't be so good. So it's not good for your mouth either. Right. The, instead of antibiotics, you want to think prebiotics. Prebiotics are compounds that feed the good bacteria. So they create a more of a healthier balance of your microbes in your mouth. And then they kind of starve your bad microbes. And a few of the products that I love in oral care products in general are inulin. And or is like xylitol is wonderful in oral care products. Erythritol is wonderful in, in oral care products. And so, uh, and another ingredient that I would avoid as much as possible is SLS is a foaming agent because that's that. These are the two issues that I see in oral care products in general. The manufacturers they want people to think their oral care products are doing something, so they make they do these two things. They they add a very strong mint. So mm. it covers your bad breath caused yeah. by poor oral health. And they make it foam so much that your mouth is like it's foaming. You have to be over your sink because you can't even <laughs> stop, stop it from foaming. So a really good or foaming, yes, it cleanses your teeth very gently and you can use a very light foaming agent. But typically a good oral, you know, that's really not how you clean your teeth. You're cleaning it mechanically with using a great toothbrush and there's a floss and a tongue brush and a tongue scraper. And the toothpaste is supposed to give you the, provide the nutrients for the, for the mouth and it reverses the pH and it's supposed to give the, you know, provide the prebiotics for the oral microbiome. So, so the toothpaste has a different function than your toothbrush and a floss. Right, right. Gosh, I'm just thinking, I have all, all these thoughts in my head of where I want to go next because I'm, I, um, so real quick, um, I was just thinking about, I know I'm probably dating myself right now, but I was thinking about when I was a kid and I'd go to the dentist and they'd put like that fluoride, almost, um, like a, like retainer, you know what I mean? Um, I know you probably know the proper term for that, but you know, and I would sit there at the end of every dental visit and they'd put this, you know, basically fluoride paste in my mouth that it would sit there for what, a half hour or something. Um, so, so, you know, so, yeah, so let me kind of, that type of fluoride for people who are moderate to high risk uh, is probably not as bad as actually, because what happens is, first of all, because it's controlled environment, it's a high dose fluoride immediately, and it's a local dose of fluoride, right? And then you don't have fluoride in your body for the next three months. Uh, the worst type of fluoride is when you, when you use fluoride in your mouth rinse or your toothpaste on a daily basis right. and you end up swallowing it. Or right. if you have fluoride in your, uh, too much fluoride in your, in your water, and again, it becomes a systemic amount of fluoride. Uh, so, so again, for, for those of you who have moderate to high risk, again, if you, let's just say you have a history of cavities, that's just kind of an easy way to know if you have a, if you have a mouth, if you're a mouth breather, if you have truly a genetic problem, um, you know, all those, those types of people, yes, th those getting those fluoride varnishes you know, or trays at the dental, dental visits once, you know, every six months or so, it's not a big deal. In fact, sometimes it's recommended. So that, I, I, it does not lead to toxicities because it's very localized, it's controlled. You know, the dentist has high suction systems in to make sure that you don't, you know, it doesn't get absorbed through your uh, tissues in your mouth and you don't swallow it. But when you use it twice a day, daily, and you're swallowing a ton of it and using way over what's prescribed or what's instructed, or it's in your food and your drinking water, then I think all that's over, over a long period, it can accumulate too much. And then those are the, some of the potential risk factors. Yeah, that's very interesting and very helpful. Um, should we be brushing our tongue? I know we're talking a lot about teeth. Absolutely. Flossing. Okay, because... Absolutely. Okay. I want you to think of this. Uh, this is, again, for your listeners. I want you to think of your mouth more than just a collection of these dead teeth in your mouth that you just brush twice a day and you get it cleaned by the dentist twice a year, right? Mm -hmm. Your mouth is filled with all these other 
parts. You, you, you have your gum tissues, you have your bones, you have, your, you have billions, somewhere between five to 100 billions of oral microbes. And these are all part of your mouth. You need to give the nutrients that your mouth needs and you need to clean it. You need to make sure, and not overzealously clean it. By the way, I think we've been brainwashed to scrub and disinfect our mouths, right? right. Our mouths, you need to be, you know, taking care of it, you know, uh, gently, always use these words, gently, but thoroughly. Yes. So, so your, yes, your tongue is also an area that it, it's, it's just, it's a common area for bad breath because it accumulates a ton of microbes and your normal t- uh, bristles on your toothbrush are not designed to reach those microbes and remove them. So I would recommend using a tongue brush, which come in two different flavors or t- types. One is a tongue scraper. One is a tongue brush. I kind of like actually to use a, both of them. I kind of brush it a little bit with a gentle brush, and then I, I scrape my tongue gently. Again, gently but thoroughly. And that it improves, you know, it, it gets rid of bad breath and also improves uh, because it also can, those bacteria on the tongue, they can interfere with the taste, cause all sorts of issues. So when you brush your teeth, make sure you, you know, in fact, you know, since we're talking about this, uh, let me just kind of tell you the order, if you like, or of taking, you know, taking care of your mouth. Sure. The first thing you want to do, you want to use an alkaline mouthwash in the morning before breakfast, by the way. This is really important uh, because I think a lot of people brush their teeth after meals and you should never, ever brush your teeth within 30 to 60 minutes of eating something because that's when your mouth is acidic. Remember how I talk about that acidic environment and what happens to the enamel? Right. So, and that's when it's at, at its more vulnerable time. So you want to always brush your teeth in the morning before your breakfast. And one of the reasons people don't do that, by the way, because of the terrible uh, ingredients that we currently have in our products, because they make your mouth be so minty that it interferes with your food, right? Right. Use a or- good oral care product that doesn't overtake over your mouth. You know, it just gently cleans your mouth and, and provides the supplements and the nutrients that your mouth needs. Then it doesn't interfere with the taste of your foods when you're going to eat it. In fact, that nanohydroxyapatite that I just mentioned earlier, if you have it in your oral care products, there's there's many studies that show that one of the other benefits is it buffers your teeth against that acidic attack that you're going to have with your coffee or your morning, you know, juice and all the other breakfast, you know, uh, foods that we usually typically consume during morning time. So you want to start with an alkaline mouthwash to loosen the particles and everything and, and get the nutrients in the, into the areas of the mouth that typically the toothbrush doesn't get to. Then you want to floss your teeth and use a tongue scraper or tongue brush. And then the last thing you want to do is use your toothbrush with some toothpaste. And then you want to do that for two minutes because that's how long it takes to brush every surface of your teeth and uh, and for the toothpaste to do its magic. And then you're ready to start your day and then have your breakfast. Wow. Okay, that's good to know because I've literally read children's books that say to do it after breakfast. <laughs> Just, you know, and, and it never made sense to me. So I'm so glad that you... Um, Shared that and educated me and everyone who's listening today. Um, You're right. I've had, I, I, in fact, I've had dentists. This is probably the most biggest mistake I see that people brush their teeth after eating. I, you're right. I've seen it on websites, dental office websites. But you know, American even. But you know, if you go to the American Dental Association website, they obviously clearly say you should never brush your teeth after eating. And so, from you know, if it's just like this yeah. is what's happened, unfortunately, I think the last twenty years uh, and the internet, right? And social media, we get so much misinformation and bad information. And it's really difficult oh, to. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, the dentists are part of this whole population too, right? They see this information online, and they just don't check the source to make sure it's a, it's a, you know, they don't know if the source is, you know, from a renowned doctor 
or from someone you know that doesn't know anything about dental health or medical health and they're just providing their own personal opinion so right. so yeah so i encourage everybody to uh, you know that's another thing to try to get your information from a valid you know a source that uh, is an expert in oral health Exactly. Exactly. Well, Dr. Haas, I know we're almost out of time, but I know uh, I would like to know the answer to this, um, to one last question about how individuals can form or improve healthy oral habits. And then as a parent, I also want to know, you know, for myself, and then I also want to know since (laughs) flossing, toothbrushing, you know, all all those things that we try to get our kids to do um, is such a struggle sometimes. What can parents do to encourage their kids to have healthy oral habits? And how do we go about doing that? What a great last question. So let me kind of give you an acronym to remember. And that acronym is SUPER, S-U-P-E-R. So all of the oral care products that you want to use for yourself and for your children, they need to follow these S-U-P-E-R. So S is for safe, right? It goes without saying that your oral care products must be safe. But just like you and I were discussing a minute ago, many of them aren't so much so that FDA has to put a warning on them, right? That we have to call it poison control center if we swallow them. So safety is number one. Please, just as, as, as parents, we check the foods, you know, the labels on the back of the foods and the boxes. We want to make sure that we educate ourselves about the ingredients that we put in our children's mouths and in our own mouths twice a day. So the next one is unified. We want to make sure that oral care products that we use work together as a system. I literally know people that use uh, you know, these mouthwashes that kill 99.9% of their germs. And then they use probiotics at the same time. So they're putting microbes in their mouth at the same time mm-hmm. that they're putting antibiotics in their mouth. So they need to work as a system. Peace for playfulness. This is, this is really the biggest probably response to your question about how do we make, build healthy habits for life, right? You know, our, our, most of our habits, either positive or negative, our associations, either positive or negative, they've been formed when we were kids. So we want to start things off right with our kids. We want to make sure kids love taking care of their teeth. And they don't think of their toothbrush as a chore, but they want to think of it as a toy, right? So yes. how do we do that? I'll give you one example. It, to give them a musical toothbrush, this is just one example. But kids, first of all, they brush longer, you know, 73% longer with a musical toothbrush. But who doesn't love music? Well, yeah. kids, parents who've, who've done this one trick, tip or trick that we've recommended, they, they send me pictures or videos with their kids dancing with their toothbrush and sleeping with their toothbrush. And that's how they first remember their oral care, right? This is how they start their associations. So playfulness is that, that, uh, the P. E is effective. None of this stuff matters if you, if you use oral care products that are not effective. They're not helping your oral health from, from, you know, from the microbial perspective and from the growth and development perspective. So we want to make sure that we use ingredients that are 100% effective. And then R is reputable. The source of your information and education need to come from a reputable source, from someone who's, who knows what they're talking about, from a, from a manufacturer that they, they are, they're, they're not experts, and not from a random person on social media or on the internet that maybe knows little to nothing about oral health and dental health and physical health. Yes, absolutely. And as a play therapist, um, the playfulness just, I mean, that that one really spoke to me. Um, And I think even I could do a better job at home. Uh, Again, we've had your super dentist toothbrushes that, you know, make the music and I still have the song in my head. (laughs) The song gets in your head. I love it. (laughs) Um, But my kids love it. And, you know, sometimes we put a two minute timer, a sand timer or something. But I think instead of a timer, you know, even if they're not using that exact toothbrush at the time to have some like 
like a, a, a song playing for two minutes that they exactly. can dance to. And then when the song's up, then they can be done, you know, exactly. with, with brushing their teeth. Because you don't so, think how, you don't think two minutes is a long time until you're brushing, right? Two minutes is a long time when you're brushing your teeth. But when you have a song to play on it, then two minutes goes by so fast. You want to actually like maybe brush for one more time because you want to listen to the song one more time. So yeah, yeah, that's probably one of the easiest, the best way to get your kids to brush as, for as long as they need to. I love it. I love it. Well, Dr. Haas, thank you so much for your wisdom and your experience and your time today. I know I constantly learn things from you. And now we have your book, If Your Mouth Could Talk, that was just released. So excited. Where can people find your book and find you for more information, like where your offices are located? Where can they find you online, et cetera? Well, thank you so much for those kind words, by the way. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. It's always wonderful to, to speak with you. You can get my book from really your favorite bookstore. So any, any Barnes & Noble or online Amazon, as long as you live in, you know, in U.S. or Canada or basically all the English-speaking uh, countries. And I'm available. My practice is in San Diego. The superdentists.com is uh, our website for our practice. And, of course, I'm always available through you as well if you ever need to speak with me again. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you. Have a wonderful day. And I hope this episode helps so many parents out there. I know it helped me. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us today. I can't wait to have you back for more. Make sure to subscribe to the Parentologist podcast so you don't miss an episode and make sure to tell your friends. This podcast is not intended to be a replacement for therapy. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call 911.